So I had an investor call me last week and said, I really messed up. I did this transaction and I you know, made a $50,000 misstep. What should I do now? And I said, okay, we'll talk about that. But that's not the right question. The right question is, how did I get here? All right, welcome to another interview at Deals Today Podcast. And I am your host, Paul at realestateaudios.com. And we're going to be speaking with John Gultieri. John's been in real estate for 30 years. He's been a top producing sales training coach for real estate brokers and other industries for 20 plus years. And that is his specialty, especially is in building efficient teams, building sales teams and sales training with over the phone or in front of the prospect. Now, I'm bringing a lot of investors onto the show, and this is the Deals Today podcast where I bring in people that are in the trenches right now to get the guts of what's going on in their business, to reveal what's working today. But I often like to bring in people that are outside of our industry. Now, John is not way outside. Uh, the retail business of real estate is a little different than what we do as investors, but he is very familiar with it. He's trained investors in sales and in building a team and analyzing deals as well and the transaction part of deals. And so he's going to shed some light because I like to bring in outside people because if we just listen to the same minutia, the same specifics that everybody else is teaching, it becomes a bubble and you're just listening to the same recycled stuff over and over again. But once you start getting outside perspectives and outside perspective techniques, knowledge, principles and bring them into, shed the light into real estate investing, that's where fresh ideas come about. So that's why I brought John here. He was referred to me by somebody in my mastermind group. He's an amazing sales coach. I had a great time chatting it up with him. And so we talk about things about how to build a team, a, su a successful team. It's not just about the system. It's also about finding the right people. So we talk about how to find a, the right people to build a small, effective, and profitable team for yourself, and how to become a better leader for that team as well. We talk a lot about that. We talk about today's market because he's been he's seen the ups and downs uh, for 30 years in real estate. So we talk about what he thinks is going to happen, his perspective in, in 2021. We talk about door knocking and dealing with prospects as real estate investors because he does have clients who are real estate investors, and he trains them in sales. So it's a whole host of things. Tune into the whole thing. And of course, if you're not on my email newsletter where I talk about marketing, copywriting, two things that I love talking about that I'm good at and business techniques and real estate mindset techniques and everything related to real estate investing, go on to realestateaudios.com. So John, you've built the most successful real estate team in North America. How many people did that consist of? Well, actually it was Pennsylvania. We were the number one team in the number one office of the number one franchise in Pennsylvania. But I, I've always been a proponent of small, efficient teams with great people. So there's myself, two other agents who are buyer agents and two admin. And of course we had, I call it runner. You know, I think gopher is kind of a derogatory term. That was it. And we were doing 150 plus transactions a year. So, uh, you know, a lot of people in my business have these, you know, huge teams. And I just find that they go broke making money. Why is that? Just a huge overhead? Yeah. I mean, honestly, they make one false move or they, the marketplace goes sideways. They're in deep kimchi. You know, they're a hop skip. Many of them, not all of them. You know, they call me all the time and, uh, you know, talk to me about, about coaching. And I never say this, but I think to myself, wow, it'd be, it'd be better to tear this thing down and start from scratch than try to fix this mess. Right. So, right. so that's the way it rolls sometimes. 
<laughs> so yeah, small efficient teams. That's why I co- coach my clients. You know, same business models I have. Okay, you mentioned when the markets change. So I know that you have an audio or you're, you have a report on how to navigate declining markets, right? So I don't know if it's a long report or not, but can you talk about that a little bit? How, how do you how do you apply that? Yeah, it's actually an audio uh, program that I did when I started out with a different coaching company and was called uh, Tough Market Domination, right? TMD, we called it. And uh, it was uh, like 08, 09, 2010. It was like really a bad time in real estate, a lot of fear among agents. And you know what ends up happening is when people are afraid, they either freeze, they fight, right? Or they flee. I mean, that's the three Fs. And so at the end of the day, people are were primarily frozen with fear. Nobody was fleeing and nobody was fighting. And, you know, at the end of the day, what ends up happening with people I've learned in my coaching practice, Paul, is that they develop a a strongly held belief, a conviction about the way things are. And so they're focused on what they can't do. They're focused on, you know, how bad the marketplace is. And they don't stop to ask themselves empowering questions like, how can I get by this? How can I turn this around? What things can I do today? What's the next best thing, the next right thing to do? And, you know, that program offered not only a lot of perspective, but it also offered tangible things that people could do in that market. And I'll tell you, every one of my clients got through it. I mean, they really did. And some of them with flying colors. Because what happens in real estate is when the market goes sideways, the pool of available business shrinks, right? But the number of agents who leave the business shrinks disproportionately. And so you've got far fewer agents you know, serving the pie. And I'm not going to say it's a good thing, but it's the industry kind of purges itself and the people who are left standing do reasonably well in a down market. Is there anything that changes as far as selling and marketing goes? I think the answer is it depends. And let me share with you what I mean. So 08, 09, 2010, a lot of short sales, a lot of foreclosures. And so the methodology definitely changes around that because by and large, those folks sadly are in trouble, right? Who are in foreclosure, pre-foreclosure, short sale, and they don't want to be found. They're underground. So you need to you need to be able to navigate that. One of the things that investors don't do and I hope that nobody hates me for saying this, is they focus on the wrong things with people who are in fear. What people are afraid of in those situations is a roof over their head, right? That's what they're afraid of. If we can quell that fear legitimately and say, hey, we'll help you get into the next place, right? You don't have to worry about that. They're going to trust you a lot more than somebody who comes in and says, you know, you don't want to be in, in a foreclosure or, you know, you, you, you're going to be in, in deep kimchi that way. You know, let me, you know, let me dump the la And, you know, that's, you know, people are like, you know, are you kidding me? Dude? The other thing I think in a down market, that's really important. And it depends whether it's a seller or a buyer, right? It depends whether it's a seller or a buyer, but that was the sellers were in, in deep kimchi there. And so one of the things that is really important in those instances is to help them reconcile reality because they're out on the limb. I mean, honestly, the things that they want us to accomplish are absurd in terms of what they want for price and so forth. Do you have to skillfully be able to help people reconcile reality, if that makes sense? Right. Yeah. buyers see right now with buyers are going to help them reconcile reality. I mean, they're getting killed out. Right. Yeah. So right now it's November now. What kind of... You know, I'm asking you for your predictions on what's going on with in 2021, what's going to happen with COVID, what's going to happen. Right now, it's a, everyone's saying that it's a strong seller's market. Prices are stable, even growing in some parts. What's your take on the market right now? Obviously, I'm, I'm not an expert. 
Somebody once told me X is an unknown quantity and spurt is a drip under high pressure. <laughs> what I would tell you is that based on my experience, and some of this is based on good research, some of it's based on conjecture on my part from that research. This market that we're in right now is not sustainable. It's so far out of balance that it's not a matter of whether or not it's going to shift. It's a matter of when and how deep the shift is going to be, right? And so I'm hoping that it's not like, you know, we woke up, uh, I guess, in 08 when Obama took office and was like, oh my gosh, the, the sky is falling, right? I, mean, I don't know if you remember that, but it was pretty gnarly. Like, oh my, oh my goodness, you know, what planet are we on? So I, I, you know, I'm hoping it doesn't happen that way. But if you really think about it, there's a lot of uncertainty out there, especially around the elections. And the only thing that people are certain of right now is they're uncertain, if that makes sense. And uncertainty causes people to freeze, right? And they don't make major decisions. And right now, it's interesting, you know, my clients by and large are top gun. I mean, really top gun agents in the business. I have clients doing 300 transactions a year, and they have told me pre-election that their business has come to a screeching halt. So if I had a guess, if I had a guess, if we're going to have a slow, steady shift, it'll happen between the first quarter of 21 through the end of 2022. That, that's what happened to be a gradual shift. And gosh, being in this business this many years, it's a good thing. Yeah. Going back to building a team, what did you do differently that brought about in a more efficient, more successful, s- smaller team? Yes. So I was willing to get my ass kicked for the first 10 years. <laughs> that's, what, that's what happened. And so honestly, I mean, that's not so far from the truth. Back in those days, there were no coaches, you know, uh, the top producers weren't saying, you know, and, uh, and so um, I'm not afraid to say, you know, I, I failed miserably for the first 10 or so years. I mean, I just got robbed. But then I started to learn, and some of the things I learned in building those small teams is that in real estate, there's a lot of puffering, right? And I did $30 million, you know, big deal. You know, if you're getting a 1% commission on that $30 million, right? Or uh, we did, you know, 5,000 transactions. Well, hell, you've got 100 people on your team and you're not profitable, right? So, so I learned a few, a few things. And I, I subscribe to the rule of threes. You know, you chunk down questions like that to three, you know, three salient points. The first thing was, that I was bound and determined to become a great leader. It was a choice. It wasn't, you know, it's not an ego statement. I made the choice and I devoured anything that I could find on, on good leadership. The second thing that I did was surround myself with magnificent people, like just great people, no marginal people on my team. And the third thing that I did was I started to focus on profitability instead of high production. You know, there are, there are people in this business that earn $250,000 a year in gross real estate income before expenses and, and taxes and whatnot. And they're keeping more money than some people who do a million. That's crazy. Think yeah. about that. Yeah. It's nuts. And your first point, your first rule, being a leader, do you think that anybody can grow to become or learn to become a successful leader of a team? The answer is yes. However, and again, you know, I, <laughs> I failed enough. So God willing, all the ego is burned out of my bloodstream. So when I make statements, it comes from it comes from getting beat up out there, right? Um, so my observation has been that people, by and large, don't want to make 
the hard choices. They don't want to commit. Somebody told me last week, I'm, I'm 99% committed. What the hell does that mean? Is that like being 99% pregnant? You know? So you have to make that commitment. And uh, I, I love Jim Rohn. I don't know if you uh, remember him or not, but he used to say, work harder on yourself than you do on your business and your business will be great. And to that point about magnificent talent, he used to say, you can't send your ducks to Eagle school. Uh, so I think that everybody has greatness in them. I, I do believe that. Sometimes real estate's not their game. They haven't found their game. Is everybody a great leader? Of course not. But a lot of it is because people aren't willing to make that hard choice of, hey, when I get better, things get better. So do you teach, do you coach leadership skills with your students? With my team leaders, yeah. And one of the things I learned from Stephen Covey, who sadly died, he was a bicycle enthusiast, so at least he died doing what he loved. He got hit by a car set. And I've, I've seen him speak several times. And one of the most important points he ever made that like I, I soaked up like a sponge was that leaders right, are concerned that their people are doing the right things, while managers are concerned that people are doing things the right way. And so a lot of team leaders are really managers, if that makes sense, right? They're concerned with, with people doing things the right way. I was always concerned that my people were doing the right things, if that makes sense. And there's a massive difference between those two. So does that tie into how to find great people? Because I'm always looking for assistance and dealing with contractors and always weeding out. It's hard to find great people at the start, you know, I, I hard to figure out if they're great or not. So does that tie into finding great people and how do you do it? Yeah, well, you know, I, I think that what I've learned is that there's a methodology around us and very few of us exercise due diligence in that wheelhouse. A great example is that team leaders bring on salespeople and they're just not wired to be salespeople. You know, they're better off in admin. So I'm a big proponent of testing. You test people's sales acumen, you, you do a DISC, a DISC assessment, you see how their personality is wired, you do a value assessment. And my learning experience has been once those evaluations come in, you determine yes or no whether you're going to interview them. You don't go interviewing people who aren't qualified for the job based on the assessments. And the assessments are not predictors, they're indicators, arguably, but they're pretty close 70% of the time. They, they really are. What assessment is that called? Well, there's the DISC, D-I-S-C assessment. There's the values assessment, which is usually taken in conjunction with the DISC. And if somebody's a salesperson, uh, the Dave Curlin sales profile is uh, what we do. And that measures a lot of things, but there's four core things a salesperson needs if they're going to succeed. The first one is that they are uh, basically a, a glass half full type of person. They have to be willing to take responsibility for lack of results. They're not gonna point to external and say, the leads are bad, the market is bad, you know, whatever. So, so they, they have a good outlook. They fundamentally are gonna take responsibility and a lot of people won't. They have a desire to succeed and the biggie, the biggie where everybody falls down, are they 100% committed to doing what needs to be done? And if a salesperson doesn't have those four main metrics, probably shouldn't hire them because they will fail. I run into investors who are, I mean, that sounds like a very committed person, very driven. And I, I run into investors who are scared to hire somebody like that because they're afraid they'll just copy the whole business, then leave, take it somewhere else. And now they become a competitor. Do you find that true? Is that ridiculous to you? Have you ever heard the term, the four corners, the four corners? No, no. 
Yeah, so it's like a, a lawyer. You know, I call it the lawyers the suits, right? The suits call it the four corners. And so when there is an issue contractually, like a you know, breach of contract business-wise, all the courts rely on are the four corners, right, of the contract. And I say this respectfully to anybody who's listening to this, because I always tell my clients, look, if you have it all figured out, you don't need me, right? So, so what I would say is that that may be just an excuse because sometimes people are afraid if they hire somebody like that, they're going to make the person who hired them feel less than, if that makes sense. And so there's plenty of agreements out there say, hey, when you bring somebody on, they sign a confidentiality agreement. They can't use your stuff. If they go out into the marketplace, you have proprietary information. The clients belong to you. The do not compete. You know, my experience has been that they're tough to enforce. They really are. But the stuff I just said is not because I've had to enforce it. So how much of that is uh, someone is threatened versus the real deal? Because you, you can easily navigate that with the four corners, right? Right, right. When building a team in real estate investing, well, not just in real estate investing. I don't know if you're familiar with the E-Myth book where you yeah, have Michael to Gerber. I met him in San Francisco when he's before he was Michael Gerber. Yeah. Really? Okay. So you're familiar with the system. So then is is the same applied to you and your method is you build a system, you build standard operational procedures in place, and then you plug great people into it? I would say to a point, you know, the E-Myth is a great blueprint, but it isn't entirely applicable to a lot of businesses, real estate, especially, you know, what I, what I mainly do with my clients, because it's a, if somebody said it's a handshake business, it's a belly to belly business. And it's very, very hard to pass that on to somebody on your team. Do you know what I mean? When, when you have the relationship, how do you pass that baton to somebody? So, so real estate is, is definitely that way. I think investors are far more uh, readily plugged into, to the email. And by the way, the email isn't, entirely not applicable to what team agents do it's it, it's you know there's some app uh, you know application there but with investors it's probably more more applicable your investor clients right now you said you're, you're actually training a few investors are you training them in, in sales and in, in marketing what is it exactly yeah the answer is both but i i would have to tell you the emphasis is on an, an analyzing you know transactions so I had an investor call me last week and said, I really messed up. I did this transaction and I you know, made a $50,000 misstep. What should I do now? And I said, okay, we'll talk about that. But that's not the right question. The right question is, how did I get here? Right? How did I get here? And he said, well, I made a math mistake. And I said, no, that's not how you got here. The reason you got here is because you didn't get another set of eyes on it. Right? You didn't call me and say, can we go through this? And by the way, usually when you guys do that, you don't want to hear what I have to say. <laughs> you can all just do the deal, right? But, but you, you know, you don't want anybody to, you know, to, to rain on your parade. And we fixed it, by the way. But uh, you know, that's you, a lot of what I do is help them construct deals and then you know manage manage the thing. A lot of buy and flip, a lot of buy and hold, analyzing the you know ROI before and after tax. I'm a big proponent of single family homes, by the way. Do you have your own portfolio of single family? I do. Um, I had a lot bigger one in Philly, quite frankly. But I, uh, yeah, and my wife wants to get back in the game again. I guess she's bored with me, so she needs something to do. Well, let me ask you then, how would you personally go about finding, if you, you know, you want to get back into the game, how would you personally go about finding it? Would you, I mean, there's two approaches to investing. You just, you know, go, go to your local agent, go through the MLS, or you actually go out directly to, to sellers. Yeah, all of the above. 
I, you know, one of the things I used to do was I used to drive neighborhoods and look for houses on double lots. And then I go to the back thing and go to the courthouse, find out who owned the lot, usually is the, you know, the house on it. And oftentimes we'd buy that lot and either build ourselves or flip it to a builder wholesale, right? And, and take our money and run. So yeah, all of the above. I don't, you know, I, I believe in this game, you can't leave any stone unturned. And, you know, a lot of people are, you know, wild about foreclosures and short sales and, you know, people who are in pre-foreclosure. They don't know how to play that game. That's the sales part of it. You know, sales is, you know, you have to proceed with integrity. You have to proceed with somebody's best interest in mind. You have to be prospect focused. And I don't know if we recorded this or not, but at the beginning, you and I were talking about, hey, the biggest fear that these people have is a roof over their food, clothing, shelter, right? It's primal. And too many investors don't think about that. And if they can help solve that problem, they're in. So that reminds me then, when I started early on in this, I was door knocking pre-foreclosures. I get my list of notice of defaults. And um, yeah, I got my my ass kicked with that. I mean, going to the doors and having every door shut and not having very good success. So right now with COVID, are you coaching your clients, your investing clients right now going after foreclosures? Or is that something you've backed off from? A lot of people are in forbearance right now. There's not too many foreclosures. I think that's going to change. How much of volume is that going to be? I don't know. I think that the banks got, you know, took a lick in, you know, 08, 09, 2010. And so they don't really want to foreclose. I mean, they, they were really out on the limb then. So I'm not so sure we're going to have a tsunami of foreclosures, but once things get back to normal, you know, people are always saying things like, well, when COVID's behind us, when this whole COVID thing shakes out, <laughs> the only measurable piece of, of whether it's behind us is the vaccine, right? I mean, seriously, I mean, what, what does that mean? You're a little bit pregnant? No, we have to have a vaccine. But once there's a vaccine, I do believe that for investors who are residential I, I don't get involved with commercial, industrial, that kind of thing. I think that there's going to be a bubble there, by the way, uh, commercial, industrial stuff, because uh, people are working from home. The office space is, uh, is being abandoned. Well, that's a conversation for another day. Yeah. So I, you know, I work in, you know, strictly uh, in residential. And I, you know, I don't believe that, that there's going to be a tsunami of foreclosures and so forth. There'll be some, but the banks are going to work it out with people. They're going to extend their term. You, you get the idea. But, you know, there still will be some. I mean, one of the uh, great things about foreclosures, if you can find it, is somebody has abandoned the property. You know, you can hunt them down, which is pretty easy nowadays, and it's a good deal. You know, give, give them a couple grand to sign the deed over to you and bring their mortgage company. You know, I've done that. So going back to the how you're talking about people's greatest fear is the, the roof over their head, having that roof over their head. I imagine that's that's a big mistake that investors make or don't make, or th- they don't think about that. So what are some ways you instruct or, or teach your clients, your investing clients on how to approach these foreclosure prospects or any type of motivated seller? I believe that we have to have full transparency. I, I really do. You know, you I coach them to call it out. You know, Ms. Smith, listen, I, you know, I, I realize that you probably have a lot of people knocking on your door, selling you on the idea that you know, they, they can buy your home and you know, perform miracles. But let me ask you a question. Have you folks decided where you're going to move to? See, see it's, it's like nobody's asking that question, right? And, and you have to remember they have bad credit. Sometimes it makes sense to find them a place if the, you know, if the deal's right and part of the deal is you put up six months rent with their, with their new landlord. You solve that problem for them. They're terrified. 
Yeah. They really are. And, you know, it's especially, it's especially sad with wife and children. And I, I really felt that the best service that I could provide was helping them find a place. And so we would talk about that. And, so, and I would always say, you, you must be, if they didn't have a place to go, uh, you must be really, you know, afraid with that, you know, you know, kind of thing. You know, can I make a suggestion? What's that? You know, how about if I, um, how about if I, you know, talk with you a little bit about what it would work for you within reason and, and let's see if we can find it. Well, why would you do that? Well, the reason I would do that is because I, I do believe that if I provide you with some service, then we can talk about this house after that. Do you know what I mean? And so it was, the writing started to go on the wall in 06. You know, toward the end of 06, I started seeing these pre-foreclosures coming up and, you know, I did some of them as an investor, some of them as an agent. Man, I found out in a hurry, it, the eye of the devil there is finding a place to work. All right, John, I, I pre- appreciate being on here. I really do. Do you have anything else to say before we close up shop here? No, I, I really don't, which is unusual. So enjoy it. <laughs> if somebody wanted to, uh, an investor wanted to get some training on sales, uh, get some analyzation from you, how can they reach you? Just go to my website. It's top agentcoaching.com topagentcoaching.com and shoot me an email and it'll be on the show notes i appreciate being on here john all right thank you it's nice meeting you be well likewise bye-bye bye-bye all right that's another episode in the can and stay tuned for the next one and my marketing tidbits every single week on the deals today podcast make sure you subscribe you rate it you review it and you share it please it keeps me going with this it gets more guests on the show And if you haven't, if you're not on my email list, go to realestateaudios.com, subscribe there to get onto my daily newsletter where I give daily mindset, business, marketing, copywriting tips, all for real estate investors right there and any special gifts I'm giving away. Go on to realestateaudios.com. 